Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, honey. All right. Come on in. All aboard. Let's go on a sh- aboard, right? Come on in. We're going to get worship started. Oh, God, we just come to you this morning because we are your vessels. We are your jars of clay. We are your mud sacks, as Daniel says. Thank you for letting us be your mud sacks this morning, Lord. God, we are your servants, and we want to be your servants, Lord. And so help us to accept that position, Lord. Help me to accept that position, that that is what I am, is just your servant. Just here to bring you glory, just here to point to you. God, that's what we want to do today, is just point to you. You are the way and the truth and the life. Where else can we go? Only you have the words of life that we need. So we're going to praise you, and we're going to praise the name of Jesus, and we're going to do it wholeheartedly. And we don't care what comes against us because we know no weapon formed is going to prosper. And we know that you will pull down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of you. We love you, Lord. We celebrate your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand up. We're going to praise the Lord, whether the enemy likes it or not. Sweet Jesus.
we bring you our broken and our ashes. And Lord, you give us beauty for them. We thank you so much. Make us new today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good morning. Just a few announcements this morning. Beautiful day out there, isn't it? Beautiful fall day. Sun is shining. So we have lunch this afternoon, and everybody's invited. Do you know what we're having? Uh, yes. There's like some sort of really, really great beefy garlicky thing that Miss Lynn made. Oh, nice. And it's going to be awesome no matter what it is. Sounds delicious. So, All right. She's not made a bad thing yet. All right. <laughs> and then uh, about 1 o'clock-ish, we'll have the lady study, the uh, Daniel study in the cafe, and... Uh, if there's any youth interested, I'll meet with y'all uh, in here. And then Sunday we got pizza and worship as usual through the Old Testament. What else do we got? Just the typical thing. We still need volunteers. We're always uh, there's always a spot for everyone to serve, and we can. We're always short. It seems like in every area. Uh, so if you're interested, just let me know. Um, there's also like an application on our website. You can go to that. And uh, that actually works now. And uh, what else have we got? Food, uh, clothing donation. We're still doing that. Uh, next week will be our donation. So if you have anything, we would love uh, for you to bring it. And uh, just a, it's been a real blessing to the uh, neighborhood here. Um, what else have we got? Praise reports. Anybody have anything they want to share? Not working in your lives this week? Is it on? Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, everything that I built up, I lost. So, uh, but this, this uh, ended up being a praise. Um, I, I finally met a couple. Of, I know one of the people that's doing this to me, and uh, I called police on them last night. I thought I was gonna die. I thought there must have been a hundred of them come to, to come to back him up and stuff. And uh, Anyway, I slept amongst them last night, and they never saw but one of them. But they was all right there, you know. And, uh, they didn't kill me though, so that's that's praise report. Yeah. But um, I need I need help, y'all. <laughs> I mean, I finally figured out something that how they how they're tracking me. They're they're, they're sending radio waves and this dust that's got uh, that somehow. It works with, you know, radiates thing, uh, radio waves. So uh, anyway, I hope I didn't contaminate church. But, uh, uh, I think you're uh, good. I hope y'all pray for me. Yeah, we help me Help me get myself. I've been dabbling in dope again, and and it's just, I mean, everything's going downhill. I got, you know, just please pray for me. We will, we will. Thanks. We'll pray for you in just a minute. Any uh, Any other praise reports going on? Did you have one, Jordan? Yeah. Okay. Well, I believe Jesus and glory for um, these people on earth. Now, um, it's stressed out because I love God, I love Jesus, and um, 
Sometimes I get up about, hey, this Jesus right now, and I believe him. Now, there's people on earth. Why go it anywhere is my problem to um, have this issue for my mom. Now, I see the um, Google look up about Jesus and um, darkness around us and help um, this, um, I like Jesus and I believe him because I'm graceful and um, I know about what's up people. Okay, so you got stuff. Jesus and you believe him? Yeah. Praise God for so that. Right. for him and yeah. thank you. Praise so, God. My budget this week. So, okay. thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I do. Go ahead. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, you know, I was listening this morning. I just, I don't know. You know when you just feel that sense of spiritual bondage? You just feel it. And this morning I was getting ready for church, and I was listening to pastor as he's reading through the word. And I was actually on yesterday's because I was trying to play catch up and, uh, and just as he was reading through um, uh, First Corinthians, or Second, Second Corinthians, I think it was Second Corinthians, um, he came across the verse that said, "For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." And I just, it just washed over me this morning, like where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you know, I just remembered that because the Spirit of the Lord has chosen to live within us. Everywhere I go, there's freedom for me. And I don't know. It was just such a sweet reminder from my Lord that uh, nothing can hold me in, 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 its, in its grip because that freedom is available to me every second of the day. And I just needed that reminder. So thanks, Pastor, for taking the time to read every morning to us and let us be a part of that. And, I mean, I wrote it on my hand just because I wanted to be able to look at it all day long and remember that that is what he has for me as freedom. So thanks for letting me share that. Praise God. The, for anybody that needs to hear it today, um, God is still on the throne. Amen. And he's going Amen. to be every single day from now until the reach of eternity. I can't say the end of eternity because it's not going to end. The, the reach of eternity. Amen. And so... Just keep that in mind because that's something I'm having to keep in mind myself. Amen. Praise God. Help me another. So the baby's due next month, and the room is getting done. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Uh, and my mom and mother-in-law have been great in helping me with all that. So just praising the Lord for that. Oh, praise God. Somebody else? All right, does anybody have a prayer need this morning? Danny, we know you do. Raise your hand. If, and Clay's got his hand up back there. And Jordan's got her hand up. Anybody else? So if a few would gather around Danny and Clay and Jordan, and we'll just lift them up in prayer. I'll start us off. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. You're so great, so marvelous. And you are on the throne. It was testified, Lord. We're so thankful that you love us. And Lord, Hear us now as we lift one another up to you, Father.
Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that you hear our prayers. And Lord, you are incredible and magnificent and beyond description, Lord. And we just need your help right now, Lord. We know you speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit and just open our eyes and our hearts to your word this morning, Lord, that we would be looking and listening for you to speak to each one of us as, as individuals, Lord. And we thank you so much for loving us. And fill us with your spirit now. Guide us as we get into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be covering uh, verses 1 through 12. And uh, we'll read through the, this section first, and then we'll kind of jump into it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, <clears throat> our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteousness and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. If you remember, last week, chapter 1 of Thessalonians introduced us to Paul the Evangelist, uh, you know, uh, sharing the gospel with uh, the people here and just planting this church. Here in chapter 2, we're introduced to Paul the pastor, and uh, certainly the Apostle Paul filled both roles. Don McClure describes the difference between an evangelist and pastor, and he says something to the effect that the evangelist is like the new father in the hospital handing out uh, the cigars, you know, and he's pointing through the glass, you know, at the baby in, in the nursery and saying, look what I did. The pastor is more like the new mother, all beat up, wrung out, looking at that baby saying, look what I get to take care of for the rest of my life. And, uh, and certainly the Apostle Paul, he was both. He was an evangelist, he was a pastor, uh, many other things. And uh, it seems as though Paul considered his care and concern for the churches, for the people, his greatest burden, his greatest call to ministry. And if you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he writes, he's, this is his list of uh, difficulties, I guess, uh, he said, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. 
I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and at day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul loves these people in Thessalonica. Uh, as we saw in chapter 1, these people came to know Christ. They were born again uh, through Paul's faithful preaching of the gospel message. And here in chapter 2, we get to see how the people grew in the Lord through Paul's faithful pastoring of these believers. Not speaking of growing in numbers, but rather growing in maturity and Certainly those things do go hand in hand. As we grow in maturity, the Lord's going to allow more growth in numbers. The Lord's not going to bring a bunch of new believers to a fellowship that's not mature enough to take care of those new believers. So here in chapter 2, we get to see Paul's pastoral care and love for these people expressed really in three different word pictures. First, he kind of presents himself as the faithful steward of God's resources. Second, he kind of presents himself as the loving mother taking care of these children. And then thirdly, the concerned father, uh, exhorting and pressing on with these, his children. So first off, Paul presents himself as a faithful steward of the gospel message. And we need to kind of understand what the culture was there, there uh, what it was like there in Thessalonica. And we're told in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, the, on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and his partners in ministry faithfully share the gospel message there in Thessalonica, and it is received well by many. Uh, they dedicate their lives to following after Jesus, these new believers. Uh, but Paul delivering this gospel message had the opposite effect on others. They kind of seemed to dedicate their lives in the annihilation of those that follow after Jesus. 
And so we see Paul and his partners in mystery being run out of town. We see some of the new believers there in Thessalonica get arrested for harboring Paul and his ministry partners, a.k.a. the men who have turned the world upside down. You know, in the eyes of those that love the world, they could not hurl a greater insult at Paul and the other stewards of this gospel message. But in the eyes of the citizen of the kingdom of God, man, they couldn't have hurled a greater compliment, right? Due to their faithfulness in handling the gospel message that had been entrusted to them, to the non-believer, their world was being turned upside down. And although we see this as a very positive thing concerning the kingdom of God, they did not. And although they were unable to, they were able to run Paul and his compa companions out of town, this gospel message, this good news of Jesus that was changing people's lives and turning the world upside down was still alive and thriving there in Thessalonica. And we know from Paul's defense in this letter that these enemies of the gospel were attacking the character of Paul, trying to discredit the messenger that delivered the gospel message in an attempt to discredit the gospel message itself. From Paul's defense, we can kind of conclude the allegations against him, and they went something to the effect that, well, Paul has a police record, so you can't trust him. You know, he's been arrested. Uh, Paul's delusional. He's crazy. His motives aren't pure. He's deliberately deceiving others. He's interested in pleasing others, not pleasing God. He's just a con man here to make a buck. You know, that private jet's expensive, right? <laughs> he's only doing it for personal glory. He's power hungry. Uh, he's quite the dictator. You know, he's going to force you to see it his way. These are the type of allegations that they were holding against uh, Paul in his absence there. So verse Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 again. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Remember, when Paul and Silas were in Philippi preaching the gospel message, they were arrested and beaten severely, and they were thrown into jail, and they spent the night there. And in the middle of the night, they were praying and singing praises to God there, and there was an earthquake, remember, and the doors opened, all their chains were released, and the jailer wakes up, and he's assuming the prisoners uh, had, were gone, and so he was about to kill himself, uh, and Paul shouted out and stopped him, right? And the jailer gave his life to the Lord, and he and his whole household were saved. And so then they went on to Thessalonica. And certainly, they're still bruised and scabbed up and, uh, and a mess from being beaten severely uh, there in Philippi. And so Paul says, as you know, he's implying they were witnesses of this. They knew this already, that they had declared the gospel message in boldness. I mean, so much so, they're willing to go to the next town over, you know, for round two of their beating in order to, to share the gospel with them. This was in the same area of Macedonia. And so the assumption is, man, if we're, we're beating over here, you know, down the street, we're gonna, if they're going to beat us up in Stockbridge, they're probably going to beat us up in McDonough, you know. And uh, just as God had entrusted Paul and Silas and the others with this gospel message, so too, he's entrusted us with this same gospel message. Like Paul, we too are stewards of this message. The steward meaning we don't own it, but God has entrusted it to us to manage it. Um, 
You may have heard Blue Origin, uh, the, the space company, they auctioned off a seat on its first space flight, which took place back in July, which included billionaire founder Jeff Bezos. They auctioned off this seat for $28 million. $28 million for a 10-minute ride. Now, if someone would pay $28 million for a 10-minute ride, what would someone pay if you could add 10 days to their life? Or what about if you could add 10 months to their life? Or 10 years to their life? Now, imagine this. What if you held the key that would guarantee a person life for all eternity, life never ending? What would that key be worth? has to be worth more than $28 million, right? It has to be worth more than a 10-minute space ride. Think about it. We're not talking about 10 minutes or 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years or even 10,000 years or even 10 million years. As Graham testified, there is no end. It's forever. Just like with the Apostle Paul, his partners in ministry, uh, God, God has entrusted us as well, his stewards, with this priceless gift of life for all eternity. And this priceless gift is the gospel message. And even though this gospel message is worth more than whatever imaginable dollar amount, you know, Congress is voting on this week, right? Uh, it's even worth more than that. God offers it. It's worth so much, yet God offers it completely free to us. And you see that that's the catch there because it sounds too good to be true. You know, you, you must be missing something, Paul. You know, what's the angle? What, what do you stand to gain here? Verse 3 says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The only reason Paul and his partners are there sharing the gospel message is because God directed them to do so. That's it. They fully recognized Jesus as their Lord. Jesus is the master. He's the owner. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in the same way that the Italian oven, my, one of my favorite restaurants over here, it's in the same way they entrust Uber Eats to deliver their delicious pasta deluxe meal, you know, unscathed, uh, the Lord entrusts Paul and us to deliver the gospel message. And certainly the pasta deluxe from Italian oven, it's not comparable to all eternity in the kingdom of God, but it is a pretty big portion. You're going to get more than a 10-minute space ride's worth of enjoyment out of it. Paul says they don't speak in a way to please men, and apparently I don't either, talking about food this early into the sermon, right? You're going to run me out of town. So apparently people are accusing Paul of being a man pleaser. You know, he just tells people what they want to hear. And so we just read this extensive list of countless beatings and the 39 lashes, you know, five times, and the shipwrecks and the getting stoned and being left for dead. If Paul is operating in a way to try and please men, man, he is an epic failure at it, right? They hate him. They're beating him to death. They're trying to kill him. You know, if Paul wrote a self-help book, it would be titled, How to Lose Friends and Influence People to Kill You. 
I mean, yeah, he's a real man pleaser. You know, what a bunch of fools here. These accusations are incredible. Verse 5 says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Flattery, it's a form of manipulation. It's telling something to someone, and it can be the truth even. It can be the truth or a lie. But the motive behind speaking these words, these words, it's totally self-centered. You're, commuting, you're communicating with someone else in a way with how it benefits you in mind. That's all you have in mind. And I tell, I'll tell you what, this one, it really made me think. Really made me check myself, you know. Do, did I really want to help that person with that problem that they were going through? Or am I just trying to, you know, get them out of my office, so to speak? You know, clear it off the calendar. You know, did I tell my wife she looked beautiful today for her? You know, or am I trying to line up something, you know, for myself later on? Uh, think about it. Our, our flesh, it's so ingrained with self that we can say wonderful, beautiful, truthful things to people completely and totally for our own self-interest. Now, to accuse Paul of flattery, you would have to accuse him again of enjoying getting the snot beat out of him. Because it seemed like the end result was always him getting beat up. So, what, he's flattering people in a way to manipulate him, to beat him up? Uh, again, a very foolish accusation. You know, I thought the Greeks and Romans were known for their deep thinking. But maybe it's a deep pile of manure they're shoveling, I guess. Talk about flattery. They're flattering themselves. They were saying whatever they could try and say to discredit Paul, to get the world, their world, turned back around, right side up in their minds. Paul again says, as you know. And so they know he wasn't doing anything for his benefit, that he wasn't there out of greed, and he even calls God to his witness for that. Paul did not accept support from the church there. He worked an outside job. He was a tent maker. You know, I was in that same boat for like 11 years, and, and it's funny, I was kind of proud of that fact, I maybe, maybe a little too proud, and, uh, but what I found out is most people were not impressed with that. <laughs> I, it seemed impressive to me, but you know, hey, you're working two jobs, and uh, volunteering, but it seems like they're thinking, hey, when are you going to become a real pastor, you know, go into full-time ministry, that, that kind of thing, and you know, I used to respond, well, never, if I can help it, you know, I love my job. And for 28 years, I loved my job. And, uh, and it's interesting, then that last year, I just I started not, to not like my job anymore. I kind of lost motivation. I didn't want to be there. And I, I did enjoy the guys I was working with, great guys, and I guess the paycheck, right? You enjoyed that. And uh, then COVID happened, and they gave us an opportunity to take a month off without pay, but still be still getting benefits. and. So I went on unemployment for the first time in my life and with the uh, federal COVID help and I, I didn't miss Delta at all. <laughs> and then they offered to extend it to three months and I accepted that and then another, you know, we were here working on that, the building over here and uh, uh, while we were shut down for COVID and uh, they added another three months to it, you know, it was six months total and then they offered this retirement package and I'm not actually even old enough to collect any, any of the retirement yet, but uh, it came with benefits. 
And, uh, and this is the amazing thing. And this is why I'm telling you this. God gave me a 300% pay cut. 300%. He, pay, he pays me almost exactly one-third of what I was being paid through Delta. And you know what? You would never even know. Our Lord, our God, is so amazing with finances. You know, it was, it was about 10 years ago I, now, I suppose, and the Lord put it on my heart to pull up one of those mortgage calculators and uh, to figure out how much extra I would need to pay off my mortgage or to have it paid off by the time I was 52. And so uh, Jill and I, we started paying that amount for our house payment every month faithfully. Then the Lord said, hey, I want you to put the most amount of money you can in that 401k retirement account. And so we were getting raises at work over the years, but Jill and I weren't really seeing it. We would just put more of that into the retirement account. And, of course, faithfully giving to the Lord his share off the top. And I feel like I'm bragging, but it's not me at all. Every smart decision I've ever taken, it's directly from the Lord. And let me tell you, I don't always take the Lord's direction. Like right, right now, my blood sugar numbers, they're kind of all, they're all out of whack because I won't stop eating sweets. And I mean, it, it's gluttonous behavior. I know it doesn't look like it, but when, you're, when you're glu your glucose is really elevated, uh, you lose weight. Your body's like eating itself. And so I'm eating a ton to, to maintain weight, really. Uh, but I'm going to pay for it if I continue to indulge in my flesh that way and not allow the Lord's direction. And, and please don't worry, I do have a, I got a doctor's appointment coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll get it all straightened out. They'll, it's trying to do it through diet, but they'll knock me in the dirt, I'm sure. But, uh, and I know, I know what I'm supposed to eat. I know how much I should eat, right? We, we all have a pretty good idea what our body's needs concerning food, and, you know, everybody's a little different. But the point is, God's direction, it's always the best direction, by far. For every single aspect of every one of our lives. And Paul's life is a shining example of this. So much so that his opposition is now accusing him of volunteering his time out of greed. He's volunteering to serve this church and they're saying it's out of greed. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. You know, he's so greedy that he's going to work for free for them. <laughs> You know, and so their next thought, well, maybe Paul is such a glory hound that he's willing to work for free. And so we see in verse 6, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, as though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. I mean, they were, he's an apostle. He could have said, hey, this is what you're going to do for me. And he didn't. He says, verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So now Paul compares his ministry to the Thessalonians as a mother caring for her own children. Not only sharing the gospel, but sharing his own life with them. This church was fairly new, just a couple of years old. And uh, 
just like when we are born physically as babies, we're very demanding, right? And I know babies look innocent. We got a couple of them here to beautiful. Uh, we know they look innocent, right? But they're not. They, they only think about themselves. You know, what they want, what they need. They don't ever think what, that mom needs to take a break. You know, I'll just sit here quietly and let her get some rest. And I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying it's beyond their capacity. That's the way God made them. They would die probably if they just sat there quietly. Someone would forget to feed them. So, uh, but as they grow and mature, they become less and less demanding on their parents, right? Eventually becoming their parents, parents themselves. And it seems to work the same way in a spiritual sense. The, the big difference is in a physical sense, you see a guy like me with gray hair or a guy with no hair, and you know, well, hey, they've been around for a while, so chances are, hopefully, they're fairly mature, you know, most of the time. Uh, then you can see a young man, you know, a 13-year-old uh, with peach fuzz on his cheeks, and you know, well, he's a young man, he's not very old, so he's probably not very mature. Uh, maybe he is for his age, but... So you kind of know how to interact, right? You have these physical clues. Uh, but in a spiritual sense, there are people in all different stages of maturity. And we're all part of this same body together. And so we need to really work together in an understanding way. You know, look at it this way. If, if the eye is dry, it can't put eye drops in itself, right? It needs the hand to do it. But how does the hand know that the eye needs eye drops? Because the head or the brain tells it to. Remember, Jesus is the head in this scenario. He said, we are his body, the body of Christ. He's the head. He's the brain. We make up the body. Now, what happens when the eye starts complaining and the hand immediately jumps in with eye drops again? And the eye says, hey, hey, what are you doing? I'm not dry this time. My, my tear ducts are flowing. I, my, I'm too wet. I need a tissue, not eye drops. And the hand's like, well, how am I supposed to know that? Well, the hand needs to be listening to the brain. You know, something like this happened to me this very week. I didn't check with the Lord, the brain, and I just threw something at a situation uh, that the Lord had used in the past in a completely different situation, and it made a mess of things. Paul looked at believers like a mother that looks at her children. He was willing to give each one what they needed, not just the gospel message, but, but he was willing to give himself for them. He was willing to take the time and seek the Lord's direction for each and every situation he encountered. I have a quote here. It says, the nursing mother eats food and transforms it into milk for the baby. The mature Christian feeds on the word of God and then shares its nourishment with the younger believers so they can grow. A nursing child can become ill through reaction if something the mother has eaten. The, ch the Christian who is feeding others must be careful not to feed on the wrong things himself. And very wise there. As, as we grow and mature in the Lord, we need to be careful what we allow into us, what we ingest spiritually, you know, what we're watching, what we're listening to. Because it's going to come out of us, and it can be like a, like a spiritual poison to those around us. Paul said they worked night and day 
to not be a burden on them. And he's speaking in a physical sense. You know, they, they were bivocational. They, they worked an outside job and, and in the, with the church. But this same idea can apply spiritually. You know, we can spend long hours as not to be a burden. Probably long hours being connected to the brain, to our Lord, reading his word. In prayer, meditating on God's word, God's word, looking and listening for his direction in order to be a blessing and not be a burden to those around us. Verse 10, he says, you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous, righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So now Paul compares himself to a father with his children, uh, leading by example with good conduct, exhorting and encouraging and charging them. Exhorting or, or calling, some versions say, it means to call alongside in order to speak to someone. It's the strong support and trust that imparts courage to others. Paul wrote it in the present tense. You know, he's implying that this was to be continually in his leadership style. You know, pe people needed to be infused with courage again and again and again as a matter of practice, to be reassured in what they know is right. The word encouraging or comforting, it, it describes the nature of the speaking. It is to comfort, to encourage, to cheer, to, to help, or even to correct. It's, it's, the, it's more of the gentle empathy which comes and stays alongside someone as they experience disappointments and distresses in life. And then the third word he uses, charging or urging, comes from the a solemn and earnest view of a situation. Asking someone to do or to be something for the highest good. Urging has a clear view of what is right, leading a person through a maze of emotions and conflicts which can confuse an issue. So why is Paul taking this role as father, exhorting them, encouraging them, and charging them? It's so that they might live worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. I've got another good quote here. God, this is about God's overall plan for us, for mankind. God determined to create for himself a people who bear his character in nature. It was his intention, even before he created Adam, despite the dark rebellion of Satan and his subversion, which penetrated all the created order, God has constantly pursued mankind, revealing his personhood, justice, love, and mercy. He involved himself with his word, with his world, in order to demonstrate his glory and after man's rebellion to bring back to himself what was rightfully his. Jesus Christ is the extreme effort God went to, God himself planting his feet upon the dirt in the face of injustice, misunderstanding, weariness, and hatred. As followers of Christ, we are, are we living lives worthy of him? 
God has put his call upon our lives to make us like Christ. We are the presence of Christ in this age, here and now, in this time, at this place. Are we living in a way that matches the worthiness of that call? God has promised us his kingdom and glory. Those who have chosen to follow Christ will, become, will be welcomed by him into heaven. But in the meantime, before that glory is realized, we are to be like him to bear his character and nature. He gives us his spirit, enabling us to live as he did. But the choice is always ours. Are we living lives worthy of his plan, his promise, his provision? And that's from Holman. You know, there are a few of us here that are called to the office of pastor, teacher. But all of us, we're all called to pastoral care and to teaching others to some degree. I'm not the head, right? Jesus is the head. And we all need to be looking to him as we interact with other parts of the body. He knows what each part needs exactly. And if we're looking to him, he will give us the perfect direction that we need to do for the other parts of the body. God has made available to us so many resources, including the gospel message. But not only that, we have his grace available to us. We have his mercy available to us, his forgiveness available to us, his love available to us. You know, as a youth, we think about how God has provided these things to us because of our desperate need for them. But as we grow in the Lord, as we get older in the Lord, we start to realize that God so often provides his resources to us through other believers. And God provides his resources to other believers through us. As we grow closer and closer to the Lord, we take on more and more of his attributes. We take on more and more of his nature. And God loves us so much that he allows his attributes and his nature to flow through us into the lives of others. You know, blessing each and every part of the body, working together to accomplish God's will in the here and now, and of course, off into eternity. You know, this letter to the Thessalonians, it's not about the believers in Thessalonica. It's not about the enemies of Paul trying to discredit Paul and thereby discredit the gospel message. It's not even about Paul and his partners in ministry. This letter is about God working in and through Paul and the others to accomplish his will in this world. God adopting more and more sons and daughters into his kingdom and raising us up into the people he desires us to be for all eternity. And our amazing dad, he lets us play a pretty big part in all of that. Let me exhort you today and encourage you and charge you to plug into Jesus, the head, the brain of this body, and allow him, give him free reign to use you more and more each and every day to further his kingdom until that glorious day when he calls us all home to him. Heavenly Father, we just are so blessed by you and lord we know that there's difficult times and difficult things going on in the world but lord 
We see, we see that in Paul's life as well. This list of horrible things that happened, Lord, but in it all, Lord, he was working for you, following your will, your direction, and it was a blessing to him. He suffered physically, but he was so blessed spiritually, Lord, as he followed you, as walked after you, as he fully and completely recognized you as the Lord of his life. And Lord, I just ask that you would help each one of us. Lord, we know you're the Lord. We know you're the master, but we don't always submit to your direction, to your authority. Sometimes we don't even look to your direction, Lord. And Lord, forgive us for that. And we just ask, Father, that you would help us. Lord, we need your spirit. We need your strength. We need your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy, Lord. And able to follow you and able to walk after you completely and totally. And Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon each and every person here, Lord, that you would work in and through us, Lord, that we would be a blessing to one another, that we would be a steward of your resources, Lord, that we would be like the mother, the nurturing mother to those around us, Lord, that we would be like the father that exhorts and encourages, comes alongside. Help us, Lord, to fill those roles in and through you. Lord, accept our praise now of you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, Daniel or myself, we would love to pray for you or anybody. So just come and ask. All right, this is our time of worship. Stand on up and worship the Lord with us.
Look what you have done. Look what we get to be a part of. God, thank you for pulling us from the wreck. Thank you for saving us and washing us from our sin. And just like Pastor said earlier, we're looking at what you've done and going, man, we get to be a part of it. We get to nurture this gospel that you've given us and hand it out like meat in due season. God, thank you so much for the privilege of being your servants. Thank you so much for what you've done, Lord. Use us to do it for others. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed to lunch, so make sure you grab a bite to eat before you go.